Welcome to the Health Fix Podcast, where health junkies get their weekly fix of tips, tools, and techniques to have limitless energy, sharp minds, and fit physiques for life. Hey, health junkies. On this episode of the Health Fix Podcast, I'm interviewing Laura Wilkinson. She's a three-time Olympian in diving. She has all kinds of medals from multiple different championships. And in 2017, following a nine-year retirement and four kids, she returned to competition and placed second at the U.S. National Championship. Gosh, she's been through a lot. She's had her ups. She's had her downs. We're going to talk about that. And most importantly, we're going to talk about returning to athleticism or even just becoming athletic as you get older and why there are no rules when it comes to getting back in the game or starting your love with a certain sport. And so this is a fun podcast for me. I was a former diver and... While I didn't make it past high school in diving, I just loved every minute of this podcast talking with Laura because we have an aligned mission to help folks become more active and inspire their kids, inspire their neighborhoods to be more active. And not only that, the interesting intersection between reaching for goals in sports or or athleticism and realizing how similar those goals and the mental challenges we face along the way are similar. So nevertheless, this podcast is for anyone who is interested in returning to sports, thinking about becoming athletic, but also using it as a springboard, no pun intended, um, yeah, <laughs> to move yourself forward in your life and athletic goals. All right, let's introduce you to Laura Wilkinson. Hey, Health Junkies, I have Laura Wilkinson on. And as I mentioned in the intro, we're gonna be talking about all things mental skills when it comes to athletics. And you do not have to be an athlete by any means, no precursors or prerequisites to this podcast. We're just talking about life and staying active. So Laura, welcome to the Health Fix podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to chat today. Well, when I first heard that you were an Olympic and multi-medaled athlete and in diving, my my high school self was like, oh, I was a diver. I broke our high school record. Maybe it hey, lasted a little bit. <laughs> that's more than I ever did in high school. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. And, and you know, I was thinking like, wow, you know, and, and here's the interesting part between like, okay, I broke the record and then never dove again. And like you, um your story is interesting of basically being told you're a waste of space on, on the team. And then the next year you won the U S national title and the and U S national team. I gave up after like, mm, I made this, mm, yeah. and you just kept going. <laughs> and I think there's something super valuable about that. And I want folks to kind of carry that through today in the podcast in terms of athletics and, and, you know, not giving up. So mm-hmm. what were you, were you just like, did you need more practice? Tell us the story. Like what was going on? Or were you just not really into it at that time? No, I was, I had just started. I had, I started that like May, the very end of my freshman year of high school. So I kind of had, had done some summer training and then, so I was on a club team and then I joined the high school diving team that fall. And at the end of our season in like February or something, um, the coach didn't like me because he was the swim coach. And he did not value divers. And it was a class at our school. Like it was for a credit of school. And I showed up every day. 
And he did not like that because I was a good kid. I had good grades. I didn't play hooky. Like I showed up to class and he kind of resented me for it because I took up a lane of their pool and I wasn't budging. And so he threatened me at one point that if I didn't leave the class, he would lower my grade and me with the good grades. I'm not wanting that. And went to the counselor and he's like, maybe you should just get in a study hall. Like we were, we were livid. My mom was livid and nobody would do anything about it. So it was really frustrating. But the cool part about that was, is my club coach, Kenny Armstrong, who has been my coach since the very beginning (laughs) and, you know, still have a very tight relationship with them. Um, You know, he was like, look, that what this guy says, he doesn't know anything. It doesn't matter. He's like, I've been to the Olympics. I know what it takes. Like if these are your goals, like you're doing that with me, not with him, you know? And so he was like, forget high school diving. Like, like, let's do this thing. And so the power of having one person believe in you when like all these people may not is huge. Like just having one person who says, all right, let's do it. Like it's, it's so empowering. Cause I, I was always so scared to share my big goals and my big dreams with people that I was always very private about it. But Kenny had gotten that out of me and, and wasn't, didn't laugh at me. Nothing was just like, all right, let's do this. This is how we're going to do it. And it was like, wow, a whole new world open, a new fire was lit, you know? And so that, that coach kicking me off really kind of became a fuel, you know, into those next steps of like, not really like, I didn't really care to show him, but there was a little bit of that. Well, I'll show you, I'm going to prove myself. You know, that was definitely in there because of that, but you know, went and got the medal and I never had to go back and show him and prove it to him. Like I I did that for myself. Yeah. That's huge. And that's interesting. You mentioned that I should have thought of that because I had to go somewhere else to dive as well, because once I showed interest in it and was, was getting better, the coaches were all swim coaches and, and all they were like, I don't, I, yeah, you're beyond what I know what to do at this <laughs> <Yeah>. point. <laughs> yeah, so, it's true. That's, you know, so if there's any folks out there, and, and you know, this is something I, because I, I want to messages to get to younger women, right? And I want folks, you know, if you're on a swim team and you like are watching the diving board over there in the lonely place by itself and no one's on it and you know that you want to try it out, do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. <laughs> just do it just play have fun like it's worth trying for sure absolutely absolutely so from that experience obviously there are all kinds of medals that came out of that and and now here you are you know fast forward you've got four kiddos you're still rocking it in 2020 you were ready to compete again then the pandemic kind of blew that out of the water but but here's the thing you know my my point for everyone that's listening here is is that there's there's so much that we could think about in terms of athletics and we're not done when we're in high school mm-hmm. so obviously you you've had multiple injuries and I and I want to talk about that and, and coming back from that because I think a lot of folks too as we get older we get an injury and we're like uh, all right I'm done it could probably <laughs> have been especially a foot injury I mean it could be really easy to be done with diving. So tell us like what happened, give us the scoop and and kind of that mindset that you had to adopt to get past this next hurdle. Never mind the coach, you got the perfect coach now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, my first my first big injury and I've, I've had quite a few career-ending injuries that didn't end my career, but like that first one, um I had actually left a college scholarship and I came home to train because I thought that was my best route to make it to the Olympics was, was just training full-time and focusing on it, you know, without the school load and the, and the NCAA competitive load, which is just really exhausting. So I was like fully committed to, to training for this Olympic games. And about three months before the Olympic trials, I was at a meet in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 
doing like a typical meat warm up where we do flips onto mats. And I was going off of a block of wood and I came out of one somersault a little too early. And I hit both the balls of my feet, like on that block of wood at a stress fracture in the left foot. And I completely broke three bones in my right foot. Um, but when we went to the emergency room there, the doctor didn't even x-ray it. He told me it would hurt more and be more swollen if it was broken. So he just gave me a pair of crutches and sent me on my way. And like my coach and I not wanting to think like the worst has happened or like, okay, great. I just jammed it real bad or something like who knows, but I was in excruciating pain as I was stuck in Fort Lauderdale for that week. Um, during that meet, I mean, I couldn't sleep at night. I was on the floor with my leg up on the bed. Like I was just in a tremendous amount of pain. So when I got back to Houston about six days later, my doctor x-rayed it came into the room with tears in her eyes and she was a master's diver on our team. And she, so she understood the gravity of what happened. And she said, look, if I'd seen this when it happened, I may have been able to reset it. But basically I broke the three metatarsals um, of my right foot. And one of the bones kind of like the knuckle in your hand, like it was in my foot slid underneath and had within the six days had already calcified to the two bones it was next to. So it was like a bone bridge is what they called it. So it's stuck there. So she's like, we're going to have to re-break everything, pin it all back together. And there's no way you'll heal in time to go to Olympic trials. And I was like, um, is there a plan B? Like, is there mm -hmm. any other option? And she said, the only other thing we could do is to cast it the way it is, but I have no idea if how that'll heal. Like if you'll even be able to walk on it, let alone jump on it, you know? And I was like, well, if I've got to have surgery anyway, we may as well try to do this first. And if that doesn't work, then do the surgery later. So we cast it the way it was, but man, that first week that like, mix of emotions. You know, have you ever felt like when the weight of the world feels like it's on your shoulders, like work is tough, your relationships in disarray. Maybe your kids are like just in a hard place. Like everything just feels like it's melting down on you all at once. Right. Like the weight of the world just on your shoulders. I had left my college scholarship. I had left all my friends. I had left everything. I went to NCAA titles. I left everything good and right in my world to come home on a wing and a prayer, trying to make this Olympic team. And here I am with the news that like, my foot shattered and I may or may not even be able to walk by the Olympic trials. Like it was almost like watching my dream, just like sand slipping through my fingers, just disappearing in front of me. And I remember the weight of that hitting me in the middle of my living room. I dropped my crutches. I fell to the ground and I just started screaming at God, like, how can this be part of the plan? You know, how can this be good for me? I left everything for this dream, you know, but I realized in that moment that that had been my dream since I was a little girl. And I saw Mary Lou Retton do her perfect pin vault. Like I had wanted to stand on the Olympic podium and I didn't know if I'd get another shot. And so kind of in that moment, I was like, I don't care if I have to drag myself up there with one leg and jump off of what, like, I have to try. I don't want to look back in five years and say, what if, like, I have to at least try and fail miserably than not try at all. And so my, my coach, the best coach ever like, <laughs> that you just mentioned, um, he, he kind of thought the same thing. He's like, all right, if we're going to do this, I have one rule. We make a new plan and we, we only look forward. We can't look back. We can't say, what if we can't say, what was me? Like we only look forward. And, um, so we committed to doing that and we had to think so outside the box and that was not my strong suit at the time, but Kenny was really good at that. And so we did so much video study, just watching all of my dives, um, the best people doing the dives I was going to do splicing them in the order. And spec in 2000, we were doing some serious splicing, <laughs> you know, splicing them into the order and putting them on my VHS tape to like, you know, watch them and like kind of burn it into my brain with like good technique and what it would look like when I was supposed to be in the water training 
Kenny would hold my crutches and I would hop up the ladder on my one good foot until I got to the top and I'd kind of shimmy my way to the end. And I would stand there and I would do all the arm motions, like standing on my one good foot, like, like bending my leg, kicking out, like going all the way through like an entry up at the top. I was modeling all of my dives and he would even coach me from the pool deck. And if there were people in the workout with me, I had to wait my turn in line, just like if I was going. And, um, you know, that was really cool at the beginning. I'm like, I felt like I was doing something. It was nice. But after like 10 <laughs> weeks of that, <laughs> I kind of started to feel stupid. Like the, I remember the swimmers in the pool next to us were making fun of me. I started to wonder how pretending to do my dives was going to get me to the Olympics, let alone on the top of the podium. You know, I, I really, I remember there was a moment where I really wanted to give up at that time, but all these kids on my team had been watching me every single day, hour after hour. And they were like between 18, eight and 18 years old. You know, they were like junior kids, but I think they started to believe in what we were doing because we were like all in and doing this. And I, I remember at my worst moment, and I don't know if the kids could see it in me or they just were into it, but they were like, you got this, like, don't give up. Like you, I believe in you, you can do this. And it was like, what? So it got to the point where I would do that pretend entry standing up on the 10 meter and my workout clothes and all sweaty with my big purple cast. I do my pretend entry with my hands in the water and the kids on the other side of the pool would be like, I didn't see a drop of water. I'd give it a 10, you know, and they were clapping and cheering for me as if I was doing it. And it probably looked insane to anybody watching us, but it made me feel like I was part of the workout. It made me feel like I wasn't alone and that this was that this was worth going for, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't doing this on my own anymore. And it's so funny because sometimes we count ourselves out, whether it's like our station in life or what we're doing, or if we're just stay at home moms, we always say, I'm just a stay at home mom or whatever it is, like where I'm too old or I'm too young or what kind of impact can I have? We always doubt ourselves. Mm-hmm. Those kids were like eight years old <laughs> and they changed everything for me just by being there. And like, being part of what I was doing, just being along for the ride with me and not giving up on me. Like it made such a big difference that let's let's see, it was about, it was 10 weeks and three casts later. Like I finally got to get in the water. I only had two and a half weeks in the water before the Olympic trials. So that's not a lot of time. Like usually we need months just to get our dives back off, let alone perfecting them at two and a half weeks. And we get to the trials. I'd never been to Olympic trials before. That's almost scarier than the Olympic games because like (laughs) everything's on the line. It's very intense. But I was so excited just to be there after what we'd been through it, like that just washed away all the doubts and the fear and the anxiety, you know what I mean? And I, I won that trials by a huge margin. And to me, in a lot of ways, that's bigger than the Olympic victory, because that was such a momentous occasion, just getting on that team and, and getting to that point. Um, and it was because I wasn't doing it alone. That's so huge. That's so huge. You know, I love and I think a lot of people love watching the Olympics because of the stories that they have mm-hmm. like the video clips that they have about how people got there and and the beauty in the process which we forget about the beauty in the process of getting there but also the the support and mm-hmm. and this is something that i think for a lot of older women who are either trying to come back to sports or come back to athletics it's it's hard to think like oh gosh you know everyone's going to look at me, you know, if I try to do swimming or dancing or whatever, I mean, gymnastics even, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. Right. And, and they're like, oh, every, everyone's going to look at me, but you had some eight-year-olds who at the time, I mean, they could have easily been kind of snickering, kind of like the other folks that were making fun of you, but instead they chose to get behind you. And so I'm thinking about kids, I'm thinking about grandkids. I'm thinking about mm-hmm. all the support behind you. So fast forward to now with kiddos, and I saw a little blurb about the kiddos, your kiddos cheering you on. 
as you decided to come out of retirement. How mm. huge is that to have a family behind you in addition to having the, you know, does is it does your family remind you of those eight-year-olds who are supporting you back then? Um, no. <laughs> yeah, differently, <laughs> a little different. Very di- well, it, because it's funny because when it's your kids, like you're just mom, you know what I mean? And so, I mean, they get, they get excited. Like they obviously want you to do well, but they kind of don't care either because it's just, oh, that's just what mom does. You know what I mean? Where, where the little eight-year-olds are, are into diving and they they know what you're trying to do where your kids are like, oh, she's just at the pool again. Like, that's just what she does every day. You know what I mean? So sometimes it was harder, especially with them being younger to really get into it, you know? Um, but there were definitely moments where they would, and we drag them to practice sometimes to see stuff and some would fall asleep in the stand, you know, some would be excited. Some would just be reading a book. So it, you know, it had its ups and downs, but I think them being at trials and getting to experience that, even though it was 2021, it wasn't like a normal trials. There wasn't a lot yeah. of people there. Like there were a lot of restrictions, which was kind of unfortunate. They still got to see that and understand that, that this was a big deal. And I, I hope, you know, it kind of planted some seeds. So when they look back as they get older, they really understand the gravity of that. And I, I think a lot of it too, like when we were, when the pandemic hit and the world shut down and we all had to pivot and do things differently, I was really frustrated because I had to train at home with with all of my little kids, like all up in my business. And that's like not easy to do when you're trying to flip onto a mat and your kids all want to flip onto the mat with you. And (laughs) it was really hard. Like I'm, cause I'm used to going out of the house to do my training and to have that space and to get coached. And here I'm trying to set up my own TiVo in the yard, you know, and do this flip, but like take turns with my kids or teach them how to wait their turn. And like, you know, but trying to focus. So that was really hard for me. And I had to come to a point where I was like, dude, the Olympics are not tomorrow. Like just let it go and let your kids be part of this with you. And it became a really beautiful thing that they got to play with me. They got to see me sweating and red face working up in the, in the game room as I'm like, okay, who wants to work out with me? Like I have to do it again. And they, they last like five minutes, you know, for a little hour workout and stuff. And so letting them see what that actually is, like, it's not just mommy going away to work now. Like they're actually seeing me do that grind. So they, they kind of had a little more of that understanding like mommy's working really hard for this. She doesn't just go away and then come back and then magically has all these talents, you know, like she's, she's putting in the effort and nobody's watching this. Nobody's seeing this. Um, but they're seeing that, you know, and it would, it was really cute. At one point I was doing this plyometrics routine because I, I just decided I needed to pivot the weights. Although I was getting stronger, like lifting weights, that was not what I needed for platform. Um, I was, I was getting slower actually. And I, I just didn't feel as good. And so I knew like plyometrics, um, I used to always feel more poppy on. So I kind of switched randomly to this, like always be trying new stuff, right? Always be experimenting. (laughs) I switched this plyometrics routine. I saw these basketball players doing. And so I started doing that. And I'm telling you my, my vertical increased within two inches in like four weeks. Like it was crazy. So that was like, obviously what I needed. I felt fast again and poppy, but half the stuff I had to do at my house and I am doing box jumps on my beds with like weights on or something, or I'm doing sprints down our sidewalk on the corner. And I was doing like these lunge jumps. Well, my kids would come out and follow me doing these jumping sets down the sidewalk. Then the neighbor kids come over. They're following me. We have this picture where I'm doing these jumps, like these deep squat jumps down the sidewalk. And I have like six little kids, like following me down the sidewalk. It was awesome. You know what I mean? It, it was such a short period of time that we did it, but I think it really, left an impact. And some of those kids on our street, we had like three girls in the softball team who were doing some of that stuff with me. They all won the national championship this year. So it's, it's kind of cool. Like sometimes they may not even realize what you're implementing, but when they, they come and they see people working hard and they want to be part of that, it just instills something really cool in those kids watching, you know? 
absolutely what a great story i'm i'm like now imagining like okay guys when you listen to this podcast i want everybody to get outside <laughs> in your neighborhood do some squat get, jumps <laughs> right something something cool squat jump what just something where you're just race your around. kids do sprints yes that's always fun <laughs> something fun to get them like, Hmm, what's going on here? And yeah. and like, I'm like, how can we inspire neighborhoods of kids? Like get them off the screens and get moving. Like mm-hmm. how cool, how cool. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> so obviously, you know, my goal is to help you know, folks get more active, but also the mindset part of things is really, it's tough. It's really tough. And as an athlete, you know, I was looking at, you know, you, we're going to talk about it here in a second. You've got your, you guys, she's got a freebie for you guys. It's a really for mental training, but I think it works for anybody because it's 10 mental skills that every athlete must have. And, and when I think about mental skills, I look at my career as an athlete, like high school athlete, because in college, I, I, I literally decided I want to be a pro snowboarder, which that worked out well for me. Um, <laughs> But I, you know, I really do think that these mental skills and mental, you know, capacity and and the review, like how you were doing that dive, the dives over and over again, but never getting in the pool. There's a lot of research about that repetitive motion and visualization and things of that nature that can be applied to lots of different things. So. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about the freebie. Get, let's let folks have an insight into it and how you're working with your coaching clients with these these aspects too, just to kind of give a broad thought process mm-hmm. for folks to think how they can apply this. Well, it all kind of started back in 2019. Um, so I had I had been retired from the sport for, like I retired at 30. So I was kind mm-hmm. of an older athlete. We'll lose some air quotes there. I was an older <laughs> athlete retiring at 30 because my competitors were like 15. So my last Olympic games was in 2008. And I came back in 2017 at 39. We had uh, three kids in tow and we were still adopting our fourth from Ethiopia. Um, and I so I was 39 years old. I came back in the pool and started diving and got second at nationals later that year, like kind of got back into the swing. But then I found out as we brought our daughter home that I needed a two level cervical fusion in my neck. Cause I was having all this nerve issues in my arm and I, I couldn't hold steady. I mean, you hit the water at 30 miles an hour off of 10 meters. So you've got to be able to like lock your arms out. And mine was collapsing every time, but I was like, I'm strong what's going on. And so we, we found out that it was coming from my neck and it was a lot worse than we thought. So I kind of had to have basically had the surgery within weeks of finding out what was going on, which was a little scary, but, but necessary, you know, and, and my goal was to be able to come back to diving, but it was also, I had to be very smart about it because I was, you know, now in my forties and, you know, I have four kids and being a mom is more important to me than diving as much as my goal was to come back and make another Olympic team. Um, you know, so I was like, I don't have to have this again. I don't want to make it really bad. So I have to be very smart in how I come back. So I took my time and I knew it was going to be a long recovery. And so I was like, well, while I have all this time on my hands, let me think about all the things I've learned. I know my mental game is like my super strength. So like, let me, like, I was trying to just pull it all down. I was writing stories about the things I learned. I was looking back through old journals because I used to be a big journaler. And so I was pulling all this stuff together and I realized that I had all these things that I could teach other people that there's a lot of it was very basic, but people don't have an understanding of how to implement it. Like they may know it like, well, yeah, you got to face your fear, but like, how do you do that? You know, (laughs) how do I actually, what does that physically look like to face my fears? You know, what is it, what does it look like to not just set goals, but to have an action plan to make those goals happen? Like, what do these things look like? What does it look like to visualize? You can tell me you were up there pretending to die, but like, how do I actually implement that in my daily life? And so I kind of put it all together and made a course 
and was starting to teach some people, but then shelved it because I got back in the water, you know, after like a year of rehabbing, got back in and competing, then the pandemic hit. So it's been kind of a wild ride. But last year, as I kind of hung up the suit um, again, <laughs> you never know, it may come back out, who knows, but, but I hung it up last year and I started coaching people on this stuff. Um, and I just, I think there's so much that, that people are starting to understand that mindset is really powerful and it can change a lot of things. And, and a lot of top level athletes are starting to realize that, that you can get to that level and you can be able to do everything perfectly in practice, but why can't you compete that way? Like mm-hmm. we have, we have athletes in my sport that are the most phenomenal phenomenal divers and in the nation, they're always amazing, but then they crack under pressure every time they go to world competition. And I, I can tell them exactly what's going on and I could help them tweak those things. And so I was like, let me try to coach some athletes who are interested in this and help them get to that next level. And the really cool thing, and I love the audience we're talking to, because what I found is I thought the people who needed it most, the people like going into college, that high national level, the pro level, they're not the ones seeking it out. They think they've got it all figured out. Um, they, they want, you know, I don't know, or, or they're being provided by their sports psychologists from school or something like that. But like, I have found that, that parents of young children, and masters athletes that are older and either just starting a sport for the first time, or they're revisiting a sport they did a long time ago. And they're trying to get their things back. Those are the people who have been mainly like gravitating toward me, like really quickly. And it's really cool because I do have some college level and some pro level people that I'm coaching as well. But what's been really cool is from eight years old to 74 (laughs) years old, all of these people at varying levels have all the same issues. Like we can all bring it down to these very fundamental things. And so that's where I made this free guide, these 10 kind of essential mental skills that we need. And they're not just great for sports. Like it's good for business. It's good for your everyday life. It's just good to have a handle on what's going on. Like I know mental health is such a big buzzword right now. Well, if you do some mindset work and you prepare yourself, you will avoid falling into a lot of those mental health traps. Like this is preparation. It's like preventative, you know, it's almost like injury prevention physically. This is like mental prevention, you know, mental health prevention, I guess. Um, so laurawilkinson.com slash skills, you can grab that freebie. It's a checklist. It's a guide explaining what everything is. And it's kind of just an assessment to see where you are and what you think you need to work on going forward. And I, I talk about this stuff all the time. I love it. It's my passion. It's kind of my, my jam because I had to figure it out along the way, but I don't have a PhD, but I have 30 years of of experience and implementing it. And I am in all those PH, PhD textbooks. So I, I think I have a good handle on, uh, on what it takes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it makes sense. It makes sense. And that's awesome that it's, you've got the younger group and the older, cause yeah, I could totally relate with like, I, I get it. I get it. Having, you know, now starting to be in the 40 plus range now, you know, 45 as of right now, you know, I'm seeing kind of how that older athlete mentality and going like, hmm, what could I train for? As they get mm-hmm. older, you know, and a lot of women will, it, it does tend to be like the marathon thing comes out. And then mm-hmm. after you, after you get the marathons under your belt, then you're like, all right, what's, what's next? What could I train for? And I, we had, I had jokingly said pickleball since pickleball seems to be quite the, quite the thing lately too. I'm also thinking like, you know, I never in my mind until I started looking at your stuff was like, Oh, diving. Could I go back to diving? Could, I don't there- know. <laughs> there is a whole master's crew. They're actually heading to world championships right now. Master's worlds. And I think it's in Japan uh, where the, the senior worlds recently uh, were. And they're like one of my, a couple of my athletes have been there that are in their fifties to seventies are competing, you know, at this world championships for diving at that age. There's guys in the 90 plus age group. So I, I don't know if I'm going to want to do that when I'm 90, putting on a swimsuit doesn't sound great to me even right now, <laughs> just a year out, but 
these people are so impressive to me that they'll still do all this stuff. There's a Julian Krug. He was always a coach. He was the coach at, at University of Pitt for a long time. And he was out of the junior nationals last week, or I think it's still going on in Mission Viejo. And he um he was doing some kind of show diving at the beginning where he did a front flip full twist off the 10 meter platform and he is gotta be 80 now or something like that. And it was legit. Like it was perfect right on his feet. Like it's that is really impressive. And just the the guts and the like and there's something that when you're doing this stuff, as you get older, like we don't always get in the roller coaster rides. We don't always face things that that give us that, you know, exhilaration or that those like that just rush of like um, adrenaline and stuff like that. You don't get that as much when you're older because we're just not doing those things that you seek out when you're younger. Thanks. So getting into a sport and having nerves for competition, even if it's just a local competition, just, you know, a, a race through the woods or whatever it might be. But like getting that those feelings back, facing fear, like having adrenaline, like knowing you're accomplishing something, pushing through like the stuff you get from that, whether you're doing well or not, like is so beneficial to you you as a human to your brain to what you're doing outside of that because it just gives you everything else you need to like get better you know in your in your family in business beyond what you're doing um in the sports arena you know I agree I agree you know I'd look back at it and and I was looking back when when I was kind of prepping for this podcast and thinking about my coaches over the years and and how I kind of learned to orient life and and a lot of it would push and do you know like mindset and things of that nature did come from my coaching that I had Mm -hmm. way back because my parents weren't so great in that department, but my, my coaches were quite, and, you know, and I was looking back and thinking, wow, you know, a lot of us who were athletes or consider ourselves still somewhat of an athlete. And I really want this podcast to be like, for those of you that played sports and, you know, you were really into something back then you still are. I want you to know that Laura wants you to know that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. That you can get it back. And so what I'm thinking about is just, gosh, you know, how, how can we get folks started? How can we get folks moving forward? So you said you've got a lot of folks that are reaching out to you who are kind of in that like beginning or, or end stage. I'm like, are we, ha- are, do you have any grandkids and grandparents like team coaching. Are you doing any team coaching in that department? I, I certainly can. I have not yet, but that would be really cool. I know there's um, a mom I'm working with who she's not like a professional athlete or anything, but one of her goals is to become a professional level pickleball player. Um, not that she necessarily wants to play professionally. She just wants to reach that level. And she was um, trying to earn a black belt in Taekwondo with her son. And so a lot of the things that we've been working on for her and, and along with like accountability and things like that and creating schedules is she's doing that stuff with her kids. And, you know, she took a vacation and she's trying to implement some of these things we're learning while she's on vacation with her kids, you know? So I just think that's cool that people like, and there's another Another kid that I actually took through a 10 year old took one of my courses and her mom was there with her just to make sure she understood everything. And like, it wasn't over her head or whatever. Well, as we progress down, her mom has been so thankful for the course. Cause she's like, you don't understand how this has helped me and my husband as well. And my daughter, like doing all of these different things in our lives. So it's just cool to see how learning these basic things, and but, but not just learning them, like learning how to use them and like implement them in your life every day and being consistent and being accountable to yourself and making a plan and like seeing it through. Like that's, it's such a small thing, but yet it's a huge thing. You know, there nothing that I teach is super complicated or difficult. That's why I can teach it to the little kids, but I break it down so simple so that people understand how to actually take action on it and make it happen. So it's still up to you. 
I can teach you all the things that you need to know, but unless you do something with it, it's not going to help you. So there's still that, that ownership you have to have in it. Sure. Sure. What, what are some of the things that your older athletes are coming to you? I know it's not fear was one. I mean, what other things just so folks can kind of, I I want folks to kind of see that they're not alone in their thought process Mm -hmm. when it comes to either competitive or just getting back into a sport. What are some of the things folks Mm -hmm. come to you with? Like, what are they asking about? What are they looking for help with in particular? Yep. And we're all wired really different. So we're all going to come with like different strengths and weaknesses. Like some people pick certain things up really well and some people, other things will be really hard. So I've had people who are just very doubtful. They're very fearful because they doubt themselves and just learning to change their mindset, learning how to change that voice inside our head, because no matter what everybody else is telling you or what's going on, it's this voice that you hear 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if that is not telling you good things or helping you change your mindset into like, instead of saying something negative, like changing it into a question, well, how can I overcome this? Or, you know, yes, I can do this. I just need to try again. Or like, we need to rephrase how we're saying that. Like, I'm not good. I didn't do that. I failed at that. It's miserable. Like we take ourselves down these downward spirals. So definitely the inner voice, um, which I think can get brutal, not just as we get older, because we can be more cynical sometimes, you know, as we get older and we've seen the world. Um, but that also like social media plays a lot into that too. As even a lot of older people are on social media and we get sucked into these really negative spirals or the comparison syndrome that is common in every age range is the comparison, uh, comparison stuff. But then also fear of like, um, you know, associated, I think with that kind of negative self-talk of like, I don't think I can do this. I'm scared. I'm going to hurt myself. I'm scared of what's to come here. And so we talk about failure. Okay. And what, what's the worst thing that can happen and what will be the result of that? And we walk through when we, we learn how to face our fears so that we can move past them. Because if you just try to avoid your fears and ignore them and push them over here, they're always going to be there nagging at you. But if you bring them out front and you start addressing them, it's like popping the balloon, you know, it's like deflating it right in front of your face instead of letting it just butt up against your back of your head all the time. Um, But then there's also like, as you get older and you have to think about your like physicality, you know, what you're able to do at this age, how much more recovery you might need to be like having. So when I was 30, I was training twice a day, you know, six days a week, it was a load. And then we were doing all kinds of stuff on top of just the diving training. There was like weights and Pilates and mindset, you know, um, video study, all of those things. Well, when I'm older, I was 39, 40, 43, you know, and I have Mm -hmm. four kids, it had to look different and I needed more recovery. I could still do two a days, but man, halfway through the week, I was just dead and I was worthless. So I had to do one really quality workout. So I had to change my mindset on it's not quantity, it's quality. Like my, my body knows, like once I get back there, like I know exactly what I'm supposed to do and it will come back, but I need to make sure I'm focusing on quality and not the numbers that I'm doing. Um, which also meant I had to step up my visualization and make sure I was focusing on those things, um, to help my body implement those quality techniques in that small time that I had. So I work with a lot of the older athletes on that as well. Like how do we, how do you get more bang for your buck and train smarter in that way? So there's, there's a lot of that going on as well. Mm -hmm. I like the visualization, like data coming out where it's, you know, same, like what you were experiencing with doing your work and not even getting in the pool. I'm finding that, you know, the more folks will run through the exact movements in their head over and over again, or scenarios in their head. It's crazy how, how it's almost like you were there doing it. It's Mm -hmm. mind blowing, mind blowing stuff. Well, that's, that's one of the gifts. I think when I was stuck on that platform, like going through pretending to dive, you know, and like visualizing everything, 
I had so much time to do that and it got boring doing the same thing over and over and over again. So I would change it up and I would do different dives or I would run through competition scenarios. Well, I knew who all of my competitors were. I was studying all of their dives. I knew the order that they did their dives in. I knew what they were likely to miss, what they were likely to hit, strengths, weaknesses, all those things. I studied all of those people and I knew what my own were as well. And I was real honest about that because I had to be (laughs) knowing what I needed to do. And I would put myself in all kinds of competition scenarios, you know, um, so-and-so from Canada just hit this dive. So now I got to step it up to like, get there. Oh, they just, they just missed. And now there's a door open. Can I stand up and do it? Like, I would try to make sure like, what am I not good at in a competition? Am I, am I good at walking through an open door or am I better at, you know, following somebody who's doing really well. And I would try to put myself in the harder situations more that I had a hard time dealing with to force myself. Well, well, what do I think? And try to get myself in that full state of nervousness and panic and all the things you would think about. And then, okay, well, how do I walk through this so that I do well? And so I had the gift of time to like, walk through all of those scenarios. And I'm telling you, my Olympic final was a little crazy, but because I had prepared for all these scenarios, it wasn't that exact scenario that I had walked through like in my head, but I was prepared for anything at that point. And so I knew exactly how to pivot and what to say to myself to get myself in the right headspace to do what I needed to do. You know? So I think that's, that was also a gift of visualization. It's not just technique, although that's super powerful is preparing for all types of scenarios as well. Huge, huge. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm thinking like it, what popped in my head, and I don't know why this did, but it popped in my head in terms of a mountain bike or a mount a bike tour of all the scenarios that could go south. Bike, you know, mm-hmm. malfunctions. We we pop a tire. We bonk trying to get up hills. You know, whatever it may be. It's a hot day, and I'm thinking about all the different scenarios there that could come up. And going, okay, having that worked through that in your mm-hmm. head, so huge. I'm like, yeah. why don't I do that with my own business? Right. We'll see. And that's, and that's where this stuff comes into play. It's, it's great for sports and sports is a good way to look at it, but you can use this stuff for everything. And I think, and at now as I'm starting my own business, I'm actually like, okay, I'm teaching these people this. I need to use this here. Like I need to make a plan of action here. So I've gotten better about creating my action plan and my plan for the next quarter and all those kind of things. So it's, I'm starting to use my own things that I'm teaching people in the sports and using it in my business as I get started. So it's been really helpful for me there as well. And I need to keep incorporating more of those skills, um, you know, so I'm also being a student of my own teaching, so to speak. I mean, we're always learning, right? Right. We're always exactly. moving forward. So it's it's good stuff to be thinking about that. And so those of you who are listening to us and going, well, I don't know if I'm gonna, you know, train for a sport, but like, what about camping? You know, what about hiking? A, a lot of issues happen when we don't think through all the scenarios. So it can be work, it be can it could be anything you're thinking about. And of course, you know, I, I want to keep stressing that this is not about being a professional athlete. It's not about being you know, even a competitive athlete, we can think these things through in terms of anything. So of course I do have a burning question. What's your favorite dive? I wanted to know like (laughs) this whole time. And I'm like, I'm just going to ask it now because it's in the back of my mind. I'm like, I got to bring it up. Good question. I've always loved gainers, reverses. That's that's kind of always been my jam. Um, and twi- twisters have come really easy for me too. So back twisters and reverses, I would say. But reverses always just feel so much more dramatic because it's like usually a harder dive. So that just kind of bumps it up a notch, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So I, I did reverse three and a half on 10 meter. I don't know if you knew that, but that was my that was my favorite. Wow. 
That is, mm -hmm. I'm, that is a tough dive, guys. That is, that is tough. Wow. And well, I have to say, I was really proud when I came back. I did never compete it again after 30, but I did get it off at 39 years old. Um, I did like four of them, I think in, in a workout and I did a bunch of, bunch of two and a halves on five meter stuff. So it just felt really good to like, know that, okay, even, even as a mom, even older, like I can still do the hard stuff that like no other woman in the world was doing at the time. It's pretty cool. Right. Huge, huge. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, I never even got past like one somersault with the reverse there, you know, for <laughs> those of you listening. So you guys can kind of understand what's what's going on there. I mean, this crazy wild mm -hmm. stuff because you're going, you're jumping up and then you're somersaulting backwards towards a, you know, either a platform or a tramp trampoline. Why am I saying right. trampoline? Diving board. Um, right. Big, big deal stuff here, guys. So. Mm -hmm. My goodness, so many things. And you're you're you've got coaching programs. I, I saw that on your website. We've got the freebie, of course. Of course, guys, I'm gonna put that on my my podcast notes at drjcrossnd.com. You have a lot of podcasts too. We've got to talk about the podcast. I, I want to kind of bring that in because I I geeked out on a few of them. And and folks, these are great podcasts for anyone. Not don't have to be an athlete. I want to keep saying that. Um, tell us. Tell us about the podcast and, and give us a little bit, Scoob, like what inspired you to start it and the whole nine. Thanks. Yeah. No, it's called Pursuit of Gold. Um, and I love it. I, I kind of started it in 2020. I mean, I was just looking for an avenue to get stories out, but also I was a three-time Olympian and had zero resources because I wasn't currently selected on their I was called like a tier program or it was like their high performance program, but I just got back in after a long time. So I wasn't on anything. So I couldn't get any resources from the USOPC or anything like that. So I was like, you know what, if I start a podcast, I can bring all these people on and I can just ask them the questions that I have since I don't have access to services and I don't have a budget to pay for it. So I started inviting the sports site people on the nutritionists on, and I started inviting all these amazing athletes that I knew personally on and just asking them all the questions I had, because I've always learned best it's always great to like study people in your sport, but honestly, when you can talk to people from other sports and you learn so many different things and how they handled similar situations, but maybe a little bit differently and like, Oh, maybe I should try that next time. Like I, I just started asking everybody, everything and inviting them on. And so it kind of started as a very selfish, like I just need answers. And so I'm going to figure out a way to get them. I'm going to kind of skirt the system here. Um, but then it grew into something where I, you know, I was hoping it was helpful for athletes. And now it's definitely like my MO to provide athletes, coaches, parents with resources, with inspiration, but then also resources and tools so that they can reach their biggest goals as well. So I love it. Yes. Yeah, so we have all kinds of you know, elite Olympic athletes and professional athletes on there, as well as, you know, world-class coaches and experts in all kinds of fields related to sports. So it's been really fun, really fun. Like I, it's my favorite thing I look forward to right now. And it's starting again um, in August. I kind of took a little hiatus as I was getting used to having all my kids home. I'm now working full-time at home with all my kids at home. We're going to homeschool this year. So it's kind of been an adjustment, but we're going to kick it back into uh, a weekly podcast starting in August. Awesome. Well, I I look forward to listening to the pursuit of pursuit of gold podcast. And boy, <laughs> I I mean, I already was like, this is so useful for so many parents, like you said, parents and the the athletes um together, but also even folks who are just looking to get back into the game and have some fun again and and mm -hmm. kind of feel feel that fire that you have for for staying, you know athletic and and being an athlete I think so many people identified with that and and when it's not there it's really something you find that you miss and it's mm -hmm. it's great to bring it back 
When I have to kind of talk to that too, because like, as I kind of hung up the suit last year, like it's been a struggle for me to kind of figure out what do I do? How do I, like, I've always gone out of the house to go do what I was supposed to do. And it's hard for me to try to fit it in at home. Like, how do I make this into my schedule? And I have this business that I love and I want to do. And so it's like, sometimes I avoid that. So it's been a a struggle for me too, to make it a priority and in this stage of my life, but I'm not done trying to do that. Like I have some mats Mm -hmm. in my, in my um, garage. And like, one of my goals is just simple. It's not a competition, but I want to be able to flip again for my birthday. Mm -hmm. Like I need to get in good enough shape to start flipping again in my garage by my birthday, which is in November. So that gives me some time. Mm -hmm. It's a realistic goal. And I'm setting a little action plan on how I could take those steps to do it. It's simple, but it it gives me a plan. It gives me accountability um, and kind of a, just an avenue that I can see it's possible when you write down your goal and you make these little steps, you realize it's possible to accomplish that goal if you follow those steps. So it kind of gives you that motivation to keep going. So even if the goals are small, just start with something, just map it out there, pick a date, pick a thing you want to do and just map a little goal out and, and get yourself going and be accountable again. Like if there's something that opens up inside of us, when we do something athletic, whether it's a competition or race, or like you said, just hiking or flipping or whatever <laughs> it is, the thing that you want to do, you know, jumping down the sidewalk with the kids, whatever it is, is it just wants to be fun, you know? Um, but there's, there's something that, that opens up inside us when we continue to kind of work that inner muscle in that way, if you will. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. And I think it reignites our fire as we're starting to, you know, transition for a lot of women transitioning perimenopause into menopause. It's like, okay, now who am I? You know, mm-hmm. what, what do I do? And so, yeah, making these little small goals and, and, and just moving yourself towards what you want to do, or we've been talking about former athletes, maybe, you just want to be an athlete altogether and you've never done anything before. Also mm-hmm. things you can do. And mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm guessing that you might even be able to coach someone in that department too. Definitely. It's, and it's never too late to start a sport. I mean, I, I was watching this video of this woman who started lifting weights at like 74, I think it was. And by 79, I mean, she was like ripped. It was crazy. So it is never too late to start something new. Um, You can always try stuff. There's, there's a lot of different programs around, or you can do stuff on your own as well. But yeah, I can definitely help you out with that. Mm, I love it. I love it. What an inspiration and such great stories today. I can't wait to release this podcast. I think folks are really going to love it and just have that like uplifting connection there that at any age, at any Mm -hmm. state you can get back in the game and exactly you've got mindset tips to help. So Laura, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the health fix and inspiring folks and getting me even thinking, well, I better get stepping back up and try some stuff too. So maybe we should do synchro. Maybe we should do synchro at the next master's nationals. How about that? Oh my goodness. How fun would that be? How yeah. fun. <laughs> Never it know, sounds guys. like a big party. They have a great time. So, you know, just saying. <laughs> I've I've heard that. I've heard like masters is nothing like, you know, what what you think of in high school and college. Like, and it's not also nothing like in terms of a bunch of older folks that, you know, it, it sounds mm-hmm. like a party, like you said. Yeah. I don't know. I have fun. <laughs> things to think about, things to think about. Well, thanks again for coming on and, and getting my brain going. Now Now I'm going to be in all kinds of different loops in my head. So, hey, I hope that's happening for you guys too. So check out the podcast notes at drjcrossnd.com and then Laura Wilkinson at laurawilkinson.com and her podcast too, Pursuit of Gold. All right, thanks. Thanks, Janine, appreciate it. 
Hey, Hell Junkies, are you feeling just off, feeling like you're aging a little bit faster than you want to and wondering what in the world is up? Hey, I might have some answers for you and some direction. If you want to chat with me, I am offering complimentary calls right now. You can head over to Dr. Spelled Out, J-K-R-A-U-S-E-N-D.com. Take my quiz, click on the schedule a chat, and let's talk and see if we can get you in the right direction. And if I'm able to help you, I'm going to let you know. Otherwise, I'm going to help you find what you're looking for. Head over to drjkrausnd.com and check it out now. Hey, fellow health junkie. Thanks for listening to the Health Fix Podcast. If you enjoyed tuning in, please help support me to get the word out about the podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review, and just get that word out. Thanks again for listening.